Dr. Denton, thank you again for the honor to be here. It is a privilege. And uh, I'm going to say it like I said it last night. I feel like a polecat in a perfume factory. Why in the world I get to uh, stand on this platform with men? You're about to hear one of the greatest expositional preachers in the land, Dr. Bob Pittman. Yeah. Not a man can ring it out any better than this guy right here. So let me uh, say what I've got to say and get out of the way so we can get to the meat of the matter. Amen. Take your copy of God's Word. Philippians chapter 1 is the text I'd like to take apart for just a moment. Philippians chapter 1 will be our focus. It is one of those passages that um, carries a profound practical implication. It's both doctrinal, but, but even in its doctrinal application, it has some profound practical transformations. In fact, the burden of my preaching this morning is to um, continue on in the vein of thought that Dr. Ham did. It is that we are watching the disintegration of uh, not only our nation, but more specifically of our churches. And my burden is even more specific and cross-haired in this particular thought. I am watching um, the single greatest attrition. If I might say it in military terms, I have more preacher brethren who are AWOL, AWOL. I had the privilege of graduating from Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary. And um, we recently were talking to some of the guys that graduated with our class and uh, we have, were blessed to have Dr. Billy Graham preach at our graduation. His grandson was in our class. And one of our, um, one of our men, one of the men that graduated with us in the master's program had done a little bit of homework and he had discovered that eight out of the ten, eight out of ten of every preacher boy, if I could say it that way, eight out of ten of every preacher that had graduated that year was no longer in the ministry. In fact, I'm told by denominational leadership that not only did not 14, 14,000 churches did not baptize anybody last year, I am told that for every five young men that we graduate from a seminary or a Bible college, uh, for, every, uh, for every one that we graduate, we have six churches standing in line to get him. Eight Southern Baptist pastors per week will either be terminated or will walk away from the ministry. And I don't mean they change churches. On average, eight per week are leaving the ministry. They are they're walking off. In fact, I want you to listen to a, a recent study. And I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm trying to set the table for the, for the power of the, of the precept and the passage that we're about to read. 1,600 pastors walk away from the pulpit every month in America and do not return. I don't mean 1,600. According to Dr. Dobson's uh, survey, they, they're leaving the ministry. They are selling socks at Dillard's. They are, are, are now life insurance agents. 1,600 a month in America walk off from the pulpit to never return. 65% of all pastors surveyed admitted that they would leave the ministry today if they could find some way to sustain their living for their family. 80% of pastors' wives surveyed said privately but candidly they wished their husbands had never been called to the ministry. 85% of all pastors' children seek some form of professional counseling in adulthood in direct relation to emotional trauma from growing up in a pastor's home. 85%. 70 churches a week close their door every week in America. 3,500 people leave the church in America weekly 
This, the largest group now is the millennial group, which um, is, is among the youngest of us. 325,000 evangelical churches in the United States of America. That's how many there are, 325,000 respectively. Of those 325,000, 165,000 had no additions and no baptisms last year. We're having no impact on our culture. We, have, we are the salt that's lost its savor. Now, I, I, I want you to hear me, please. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, to put a blanket on what God's doing. I'm simply trying to sound an alarm and an awareness of, of, of how serious it is in this land. And I would ask this question that was asked some time back by a spokesman. If we lose this nation, where do we go? And, and my children's generation, have no, they have no understanding of what we have. They have no understanding. You, you, if, if it doesn't work out in America, beloved, we don't just, I mean, where are we going to go, Iran? <laughs> you going you gonna to start a church there? Because <laughs> I guarantee you it will cost you something in Iraq. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to speak to you for a moment. I know, I know the intro is a little uh, um, um, maybe contrary to this, but I want to speak to you about motivation. I, I mean really looking at some things we do have. In fact, let me say it this way. I heard about a pastor not long ago who, you know, like all of us, when we get in the ministry, we put on a little weight. <laughs> Don't anybody point. <laughs> I'm twice the man I was when I started. Amen. And he really got under conviction. He wanted to lose some weight. And, and uh, he had a preacher buddy that was his accountability partner. And, and he tried everything. Man, he went to Nutrisystem. He tried weight loss. He, he did all he could. But I'm telling you, those ladies in that church, they got to cooking. And uh, he, you know, he got down on himself and, and he was a single pastor and he told his accountability partner, he said, you know, I, I'm, I'm overweight, I'm single in the ministry, I'm never going to get married and nobody ever going to have me. And one day, to his utter surprise, his pastor accountability partner had set him up to motivate him. There was a knock at his door. And when he opened up the door early that morning, that was the most beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed young lady. She was just in a little bit of a trot. <laughs> And she said to that preacher boy, your preacher friend said, if you could catch me, you could marry me. <laughs> but he didn't even put on his leotards. He just busted out the door in his PJs and he made it to the end of the driveway before he passed out. <laughs> well, I want you to know the next day, there she was again, knocked on the door and said, your pastor friend said, if you could catch me, you could marry me. Well, this went on, I want you to know, for three months. But before long, until he was out the driveway, round the block, he was dropping the pounds, he was picking up his strength. It wasn't going to be long. He could see, oh, happy day, oh, happy day. He was on his way to getting married. <laughs> well, you know how it goes. Thanksgiving rolled around and the pies and the cakes came out. Oh, my. He backslid with a turkey leg. Can I get a witness in the house? Oh, my stars. Boy, he, didn't, he wouldn't even get up and open the door. He was so ashamed. All that weight he had lost, he put back on. He was just back into apathy and lethargy. And he just laid in the bed and cried and said, I ain't never going to find a wife. I'm never going to be a complete pastor. I, I, gotta, I ain't going. Well, I want you to know, the first day of the new year, there was a knock at the door. He said, I got to go tell this woman it's off. It's never going to work. He opened up that door and there stood about a 400-pound woman. <laughs> She said, your buddy said, if I catch you, I can marry you. <laughs> <laughs> Will you take your copy of God's Word 
My name's Mike Stone, and I'm so glad to be here. Will you rise? <laughs> Will you rise out of reverence for the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word? I want you to look at chapter 1, verse 1 of the epistle of Paul to the Philippians. Paul and Timothy, Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Would you for the sake of time drop to verse 9? And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that ye may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Father, I pray that, Lord, the spirit that you have settled in this room would continue to work. I pray not to grieve nor to get in the way. In fact, I ask this, Lord, that you hide me behind the cross. I, I confess publicly what these people already know. I do not possess the ability nor the intellect to do what needs to be done. So may your word leap off the page and into our hearts and may you have preeminence in all things. In Jesus' name, you may be seated, beloved. I want to uh, very quickly give you uh, just a, a very simple outline. I want to talk to you about three very um, obvious principles. Uh, if this message were to have a title, it would be something like this, how to keep your shout from playing out. How to keep your shout from playing out. Uh, Paul is going to prescribe to the Philippians, it's a book that's characterized by joy, mentioned some nine times, and we all know that it was written as what we call a prison epistle or an incarceration uh, revelation. It's, it, uh, it is peppered and punctuated with joy. And we like that because he didn't let his circumstances uh, dampen his joy in the Lord. So what is this thing that causes this perpetual uh, passion? What is this, this, this wellspring in his spirit that keeps him singing with joy? Well, I, I'm going to submit to you the first and the most obvious is there was the presence of an exceptional fellowship. Now, now it's not obvious to the casual reader of the Word of God because we tend to pop through it and, and, we, and we read it theologically, but we miss it supernaturally. Look at, look at verse 1. Paul and Timotheus, Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ, which are at Philippi. I love the way that Dr. Jerry Vine says this. He says there's two addresses in this church. There is, there's a spiritual address in Christ. Amen. And there's a physical address at Philippi. <laughs> well, let's try it on this side of it. There's two addresses. <laughs> One spiritual, I'm in Christ. And I have a physical address, I'm at Philippi. Now, and he says, listen, listen to what he says. He says, uh, and to all the saints um, and the bishops and the deacons. Now, this is what I love about this, 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 this presence of this exceptional fellowship. We've lost this in the cornea, in the ecclesia of God's modern day church. We've lost this sense because we, we, we have something very absent from us in the American church that, that um, is, is present in other situations and circumstances. We, we don't have a real sense of desperation right now in America. If we get in financial trouble, we can just refinance it. If we, if we, if we get down and out, we, we go to the tanger. Is anybody with me? 
we, we don't have a real sense of desperation. This, this presence of an exceptional fellowship, it's, 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 you hear it in chapter 1, Paul and Timothy. Let me tell you in plain terms what he's saying. We're in this together. <laughs> I may be shackled, I may be incarcerated, but we're in this together. You, you see it all through the Word of God, and there is a tendency among pastors specifically to, to isolate themselves because there's such a presence of envy and jealousy. Am I allowed to say that among preachers? My church is not as big as your church, or you make more than I do, or you baptize. And when the Holy Ghost wants to do what he wants to do, we can't let him do what he needs to do because we're more concerned that you have 11 more parking spots than I do. Mine are still graveled and yours are paved. Are you with me? Well, Paul, Paul just says, I want you to understand something. There's, there's the presence of an exceptional fellowship. Paul and Timothy, he sets the tenor and the tone right there. We, we, a three-bound cord's not easily broken, beloved. God designed us as men of God not to be able to do this alone. It's all through the Word of God. Moses had Aaron. Joshua had Caleb. David had Jonathan. Elisha had Elijah. John had James. Abbott had Costello, or is anybody getting anything out of what I'm saying to you? We, we are not built to, to do this alone. We, we, are, we are designed by God's divine providence to do this in tandem together, to rejoice when others are rejoicing, to weep when others are weeping. And we have so isolated ourselves, it is amazing to me, we have more devices today in communication, but there's a greater sense of isolation than we've ever known in this country. My wife and I were at a coffee shop the other day enjoying some time together and I, we, were, we, we, was, we were sitting there just having a cup of coffee and there were a bunch of young folk kind of wadded up in the corner and they were all talking to each other but they hadn't said a word. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you how I knew it. They were texting each other and one would get tickled and look up and go <laughs> and then they go back. They never spoke a word. Not one word. I said to my wife, they're talking about us. <laughs> Paul says there's an exceptional fellowship. Now let me tell you why this is important, especially among servants of the Lord. What Paul is going to encounter in his ministry and what you and I have to face in a 21st century setting in a day when I believe we're moving into the last days, but at the same time we're moving into that promise of that Joel 2, that latter day rain, there is a, there is a sense that something is coming. <laughs> Amen? Iron sharpens iron. Paul says, he says, there's the presence of an exceptional fellowship here. Paul and Timothy, I can't do it all alone. What would a mind like Paul, what would the scholar, the orator, what would the man who has this incredible ability like Paul need Timothy for? I'll tell you why. Because we are not built to do this alone. It's impossible. So there has to be the presence of an exceptional fellowship. Paul and Timothy with the bishops and the deacons, we are not designed to do this alone. Some Someone told me recently, uh, I, was, I was studying leadership at the seminary where I'm uh, studying for my PhD, and they, someone asked this question, well, what's the secret to, to uh, a longevity in the pastorate today? And I want you to listen to what our instructor said. He said, well, the secret is to keep the five that hate you from, from getting with the five that haven't made up their mind yet. <laughs> Can I get a witness from the pastors in the house? What, what happens oftentimes is there can be a hundred that are with us and fighting the good fight of faith, but it only takes one to steal our attention. 
Had, do y'all pastor any people that, uh, let me explain it, let me describe it. This they, they would, they're like a drink of water to a drowning man. Y'all ever pastored anybody like that? Son, they could suck the life out of you in 32 seconds or less. You see them coming and you start praying for the rapture. Are you with me? Please don't point, sir. Are you with me? Paul, Paul said there is, there, is, there is the presence of an exceptional fellowship. Why? Because we cannot do this alone, beloved. What was the secret to this joy-filled, Jesus-sharing, loving church? Well, you know what, Brother Jeff? Now, this is where you've missed your exegesis. You have, you have hermeneutically committed a homiletical crime because this is the early church. This is Philippi. Everybody loved everybody. They all got along. They didn't have a WMU director. There was no women's military union. <laughs> oh, beloved, you, listen, it's amazing what happens if you read the Bible. <laughs> because if, if you romance this text and you simply see it as some euphoric, romantic experience that they had the Apostle Paul who never had any problems and this was the perfect church, I'm telling you what will kill your ignorance is read to chapter 4 and you'll find out there are two women Two women, Euodia and Syntyche. Now, they just sound mean to me, amen? I mean, if you're going to get body slammed by somebody, it's a woman named Euodia. Can I get a witness in the house? I've been this size since I was in fourth grade. There are large women that scare me. Do you understand what I'm saying? And Euodia would be one of them. It's not a perfect church. In fact, I want you to imagine for a moment that Dr. Denton is away and he's, he's doing an extensive work somewhere and he sends back a letter to the associate pastor who stands in the esteemed helm at the Great Hillcrest Baptist Church. Everybody with bated breath, with great anticipation is waiting to hear from their pastor who has been released to pursue the heart of God to plant a church somewhere for a season before he comes back and he writes this incredible letter filled and peppered and punctuated with joy and he gets to the and he says, oh, by the way, when I get to the house, I'm going to want to talk to Margaret <laughs> and Elizabeth. I, can I just say, I don't know about Hillcrest, but you might as well go on and get to U-Haul. Oh, y'all have that problem here? You mean he called them out by name? Yes, I mean he called them out by name. Why? Because he understood that it's better to do it right and in the light than ignore it and leave it to get infected. There, there's the presence of an exceptional fellowship. How good is the fellowship? It's so good that they're at the place where they can deal with what's infecting them. And I'm telling you, beloved, half of what's going on in our churches today is we've let the men and the women who, who wouldn't know God in a broom closet influence our churches. We've abdicated our roles as spiritual leaders. We're scared to death that if we stand in authority that we're going to get blogged on. Let me just pause here and say something. When you get to heaven, sir, you're going to go to heaven and meet a man by the name of Paul and Paul's going to say what did you do with what I left you what did you do with the power of the Holy Ghost what did you do with texting and tweeting what did you do with the internet and, and cable television? what did you do with the ability to get in a car and be what took me three days you could be there in 30 minutes and you're going to say well now Paul I tell you we had to calm it down because we were afraid they were going to blog on us <laughs> and Paul's going to say blog dude I got flogged <laughs> you worried about getting blogged I got flogged. 
You see, the presence of an exceptional fellowship moves easily into this because what it does is it deals with the reality of ministry and ministry is sometimes not pretty. Sometimes it's not. And Paul is not, not trying to paint a picture that's not real. I understand, I understand this idea in American Christianity, you know, to dwell above with the saints we love. Oh, that'll be grace and glory. To live below with those we know. Now that's a different story. He moves from exceptional fellowship. Now watch this, watch this very quickly. We're, 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 we're closing this down. He moves from the, the, the presence of an exceptional fellowship to the promise of an exciting finish. Now this is, this, this is key. You got to get a hold of this. In fact, he says in, in, in verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, We don't know how to wait on God anymore. We live in an instantaneous microwave, just add water society. And because we don't know how to be still, I, I was not raised in a Christian home. I wasn't raised around the things of Christ. So when I came to Christ, there was this, there was this haunting awareness in my spirit. And I'm not being critical. I'm just being very honest, Dr. Hunter. There was an, an, a, a, there was an awareness in my spirit that something was missing. And, and, and I'm grateful for our convention and I'm thankful for the tools that they put in our hands. We, we are a, a, a cooperating people, but hear me, there are things by design that cannot be published by Lifeway. There, there are things the Spirit is not going to put in a trifold color brochure. There's times when God very intentionally makes us wait on Him to be still. And to linger in his presence. What Paul is getting across to the leadership of this church and the fellowship, the fellowship of this church is this. There is a development, there is a process out of salvation where God begins to do a work of sanctification. And you've got to be patient with people. The servant of the Lord must not strive among them. Now I'm preaching to Jeffrey Thomas right now because I don't like to wait on anything. In fact, I got so, I'm telling you how impatient I am. I got so impatient waiting on microwave popcorn, I buy it popped already at the Walmart. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because I stand up beside the microwave and go, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. So I just buy it popped now. I don't even want to wait on it anymore. I want my news in 60 seconds or less on, 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 on the fastest feed I can get it. I want, I want 4G. You're old school. If it's not 4G, I want it as quick as I can get it, and I'm moving as fast as I can. I don't like to wait on anything. And the problem with that is, beloved, when you lose sight of the exceptional fellowship, you will lose sight of the exciting, the, 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 the exciting finish. Here, here's the problem. He said that which he hath begun he will be faithful to complete. Let me tell you how the Holy Ghost brought this. Brought this. I, I was. We were in a multimillion-dollar building program, a church that I pastored, and um, everything that could go wrong had gone wrong. My wife was teaching a Bible study at Union University, and she had dropped the kids off at a setters, and I had been away every night for the last eight, nine, ten days. Uh, doing something with a building, contractors, yada, yada, yada. And at that particular time, for whatever odd reason it is, at that particular time in my life, my favorite, one of my favorite things to watch was they would broadcast on C-SPAN, they would broadcast the British Parliament. And, and I loved to watch them. My wife said it's because it reminded me of a Baptist business meeting. 
And they, they, could, they could insult each other at a level that was masterful. I mean, anybody that speaks in the British, I mean, they sound smart anyway. So Tony Blair would get up and he would make a statement and then he would sit down and then somebody else would come over and they would insult him in British and I, it just tickled me pink. And they'd do this for hours. So I knew that this particular night, the parliament was in session. I, I went home and I, I was going to uh, a therapy session. I was going to watch the parliament because I like to watch them fight. And I have a very special con concoction when I'm kind of burnt. I don't do it as much anymore. I have a very special concoction that I used to make. I'd get a half a gallon, a round half a gallon of Bluebell ice cream, carve the middle out, stick six Snicker bars in the middle of it, and nuke it. <laughs> it is a blizzard from glory. I had it down to a science. So much so that the, that the Snickers melted in perfect consistency, but the ice cream was still cold. Half a gallon of heaven. I had a pair of britches that stretched out to 58s. I had my, I'm eating my, my, my therapy shirt on, which had multiple stains from previous sessions. I had my half a gallon of Bluebell, completely, totally prepared with a six-pack of Snickers. I sat down on the couch, hit the remote, and I turned on C-SPAN, and to my utter amazement, my program that I'd been waiting for all week was imprompted. Something else was on. In fact, what I saw on the screen was this massive cathedral, and there were these little robed boys singing like sissies. And I thought to myself, hi, Brother Steve. I thought to myself, I thought, what is this nonsense? Where is, where is my British Parliament? I need some Tony Blair taking off some heads. I, I've been so busy, I was completely oblivious to the fact because at this point, while these robed little boys are singing, they are bringing in a casket. Turns out, this is, this is a, a massive cathedral in England, and I didn't know it, but the queen mom had died. She was dead. Nobody told me. So I'm sitting there thinking, well, ain't this grand? I'm going to have to watch this, heifer, this lady's funeral. Why ain't this something? I was in a bad mood. I didn't want to watch this. I'd had a bad couple of weeks. I'd had all I could take of every business meeting, bylaw, backbiting, mossback, bucket-headed, hard-hearted, stiff-necked deacon. I'd had all that I could take. So the commentator said, now as the bear, B-E-I-R, what's carrying her body, as the bear enters the door, you will notice that it's a mahogany, solid mahogany. In fact, this casket is worth somewhere north of $100,000. It was prepared some 30 years ago. On top of this mahogany casket lies a pillow that was sewn together with silver and gold threads. I'm thinking, this heifer ain't never done nothing for nobody. I mean, she, I mean I'm in a bad mood. Does anybody get anything? Y'all ever been? Y'all pastored great churches, I guess, I'm sure. And then he makes this statement. On this pillow that is, that, that is, that is, estimated to be somewhere north of $25,000. The pillow that's on top of a $100,000 mahogany casket 
He says, the crown jewels are on the pillow. They're priceless. People are singing, dignitaries are standing, and I said in my flesh, God, that woman ain't never done nothing for nobody for your kingdom. She never ever had to stand in a business meeting and fight hell by the acre because we brought kids to church that their parents wouldn't bring and because they wiped a booger on the wall, seven senior adults had a coronary and they've been in my office all week because they don't think that kids ought to have boogers. Well, kids have boogers. I can't help they have boogers. For the love of God, buy some Kleenex and wipe the boogers off the wall. Right? I can't help they got boogers. They don't know what to do with them. They've never been in church. I'll tell them, I'll tell you what, I'll tell them to bring them to you. I've been dealing with that stuff all week. And I said to myself in that room, I said to the whole, I said, God, this, this is exactly what I'm talking about in America. This is exactly what I'm talking about. This right here, this woman's being lauded and applauded and appreciated. She's been mollycoddled all of her life. She's been, is anybody, y'all understand what I'm saying? You see the parallel? I know pastors today that are having heart attacks because they missed a, they missed a hernia surgery couldn't get to the hospital because Aunt Sookie had a bad case of something. We are not chaplains, gentlemen. We are pastors. We, listen, I'm in the hospital every week, but we can't be at every hemorrhoid and hangnail. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's not our job. And for the love of God, what are we going to do? Preacher, I got the worst case of hemorrhoids you've ever seen. You didn't even come by. What am I going to do? Lay hands on you? What am I going to do? Really? We buried 40 young adults last, last, last month in Knoxville, Tennessee. 40 that overdosed because of a line of heroin that came through our community that killed them, dropped dead on the, I mean dropped dead the moment they stuck the needle in their vein. And you want to know why I didn't come by to check on your hernia? Because <laughs> our community's dying and going to hell, that's why. And by the way, this woman in this $100,000 box, when I die, they're going to celebrate. The board's finally gone. Woo! And I said to the Spirit of God, I said, God, that's exactly what I'm talking about. This lady's never done nothing for nobody except being mollycoddled and petted all of her life. And the Holy Spirit of God sat right down in that living room and rebuked me and said to me, Jeffrey Thomas Laborg, she gave up her crown when she died. You will get your crown when you die. Listen to me, beloved. This world is not your home. We are pilgrims passing through. They have always killed the prophet. They have never, ever applauded nor accepted. They've never, ever run to the leather-lunged, Holy Ghost-filled, camel-hair-wearing, locust-eating, wild-eyed preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This world is not our home. We are just merely passing through, sowing seed, weeping as we go. And what Paul is saying is if we will keep some exceptional fellowship, we cannot do this alone. We cannot, beloved, do this in isolation or envy. We cannot measure each other out by the size of our church but beloved we can keep each other accountable by the impact of our church and if there's ever been a time when the men of God ought to be rallying together and encouraging each other speaking life to one another praying for each other if there's ever been a time when the men of God ought to stop worrying about the size of the church and the depth of the gospel it ought to be now why 
Because of the promise of the finish, the exciting finish. This thing is at the bottom of the ninth, gentlemen. Now, I'm going to wade off into an area that, that, that has a lot of disagreement, but it's my sermon. You get your own. I'm going to wrap it up right here. I'm still convinced, according to the Word of God, not because of my tradition nor my theological training, I'm convinced, according to the Word of God, that we are not kept for an hour of wrath. Amen. Now, if you're a mid-tribber, post-tribber, no-tribber, I don't care. That's your, that's your deal. You understand? I believe that the bride is not kept for an hour of wrath. I believe, like I say to my folk in East Tennessee, Gabriel's going to toot and we're going to scoot. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? We're in the bottom of the ninth. I just got back from Israel studying prophecy. I just came back from the Temple Institute and there was a shift in what's going on over there. And it reminded me of this, this exciting finish that we've got. I, I, I toured where I study at the, at the Temple Institute because some of the scholars there who are not believers but are willing to help me in my prophetic studies, I noticed that this time over there, everything had changed. In fact, we didn't even have a, a teaching tour guide this time. We had an automated system, and when we got into tour, the very implements that are being prepared, and I don't mean, I don't mean the replicas, I mean they are kosher. I mean the ephod is legitimately the ephod. I mean the candelabra that sits in the, re, in the temple is, is 100 pounds of solid gold sitting right inside there. And, 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 and I said to them, because they started talking about the fact that some of the implements had been moved out. And I said, well, where did they go? And they ignored me. So we went on through and we got to the end and I, I went back to where I knew because I'd been there several times. I went back to where one of the scholars, one of the, uh, one of the Jewish guys um, that's part of the Temple Institute, and I said, I'm going to ask you something. That's not the same ephod that was in here. He said it when we, when we toured through here. That's not the same ephod, and it's not the same laver that collects the ashes of the red heifer. It's, a, it's, it's kosher, but it's not the same. I'd like to know something. Where, where are the two that's been here for years? And he smiled across the top of, the, of, his, of his locks as, an, as a Hasidic Orthodox Jew, and he said to me, that's rather keen of you to catch that. I said, well, I, I, you still didn't answer my question. Where is that ephod at? He said, well, um, it was removed some few months ago. I said, where did it go? He said, it was fitted. I said, for who? He said, for the high priest. I said, what high priest? He said, the one we elected a few months ago. <laughs> I said, um, why are you electing a high priest? He said, because we have ample evidence yep. That Messiah is at the door. I said, so what you're telling me is you believe you're going to take possession of the Temple Mount anytime soon. He said, uh, well, you better check your flight out of here. I said, well, before I go, let me ask you something. There's also a laver that collects, according to Numbers chapter 19, the ashes of the red heifer. I know she's already been bred. She's in her third generation. But to my knowledge, when I was over here last year, she has, although she's been bred, she, that, her third generation has not been killed yet. He said, you are correct. It's third generation. You're wrong in that there is no longer a third generation because we killed her. We collected the ashes and we have prepared every implement and it is ready. And I said, so you're telling me that the ephod is now with the high priest. 
He said, exactly. I said, why is it with the high priest? He said, because we believe it's going to come so quick that the high priest will not have time to get down here to put it on when he makes it back to the temple mound for the coronation to begin to build the temple. And I said, well, how quick could you build it? He said, in America, you have these things called modular homes. I said, yes, sir, I'm in Tennessee. We call them trailers. <laughs> he said, we call them modular homes. He said, they are pre-cut and they're set aside in just a moment of time. In just, in just a very little time, they can be put on an assembly and put together. He said, you need to understand that everything is done. Every foundational stone is cut. Everything is prepared. Everything is kosher. We can have it in full operation. We're talking about, we're talking about an, a, a, a 14 to 15 story building that can be fully functional in less than six months. Do you understand, beloved, there is a great getting up morning coming? Do you understand that in an hour when you least expect it? Do you understand when you're just about to resign, just about to give up, let up, and back up, that he's going to show up and call up that? Uh, who, did you understand how close we are? Do you understand, beloved, that on May the 14th, 1948, that is not coincidental nor incidental nor political? Beloved, that is absolutely prophetical. Isaiah said, who has seen such a thing that a nation should be born in a day? If you're sitting in this room, today breathing air. I'm telling you on the authority of God's word, you have seen such a thing. A language that was dead, resurrected by Herschel. A people that was scattered to the ends of the earth, now setting under the flag of David. You are that generation. Now listen, I'm done right here. Now watch this, watch this. When you and I, according to the word of God, we are not Gentile and we are not Jew. We are, behold, a new creation. A new creation. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a... We compose according to the word of God from Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Ghost, to the fullness of the bride, Romans chapter 11, verse 25. We compose something called the bride that's never been before the coming of the Holy Ghost and will not exist on the earth after the rapture of the church. We compose a trophy of grace for Yahshua Messiah, the Son of God. He is the bridegroom coming for the bride. We compose something that has never existed before the coming of the Holy Spirit and will not exist after the rapture of the church because we go to the Bema seat where we're going to be examined not for our salvation but what we did with our salvation. We know that according to, Rome, to Revelation chapter 19 that in that at the end of the tribulation we come back, Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 14, step down to the Mount of Olives, it cleaves asunder and we step off of horses. <laughs> Brother Jeff, you believe that's literal? You better believe I believe that's literal. Yes, sir. And I hate horses. I'm just telling you. I hate horses. They don't like me. I don't like them. But in my resurrection body, I'm hoping to get a Shetland. Can I get a witness in the house? I was on a horse one time, and it, and it took off. And if my wife had not run out in front of Walmart and unplugged it, we would have been in trouble. Now, stay with me. I'm, I'm, past, I'm past my time. i got to say this, and I'm done. Now, watch this. I need you to understand who you are because you've been so beat up. You've been so beat down. You've been, listen, you can be anything you want to be in this world but a leather-lunged, Holy Ghost-filled prophet of God. You can be anything you want but a Bible-believing, soul-winning, spirit-filled believer in this nation. And we've been relegated behind the stained glass. We've been told to shut up and to take all of our beliefs away. And I'm telling you, you are a trophy of God's grace. Do you understand? 
understand we have the promise of an exciting finish. There is a day coming, beloved. There is a day coming. We're going to be snatched up out of here. We're going to the beam of the be examined, not for our salvation, but what we did with it. We're coming back at the end of a seven-year tribulation. Step down in authority. We're going to route the enemy back up the valley of Megiddo. We're going to, according to the Word of God, we will have our crowns and we'll have our wedding garments on and this is what's going to happen. Watch this, watch this, watch this. There's going to be a second resurrection, Dr. Hunter, and the, those folk coming to your wedding are the Old Testament saints. Can I get an amen? That's from a scholar. I just got an amen from a scholar. The Old Testament saints are coming to your wedding. And when they get ready to come to our marriage supper of the Lamb, Abraham's going to get up, Isaac's going to get up, Esther's going to get up, Ruth, Ruth's going to get up. This, this is what's going to happen. They're going to walk up and go, come, 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 come. Abraham, get, get over here. This is one of them right here. Hey, you're part of the bride, aren't you? Now, how'd they know that? Because we got our attire is wedding attire. <laughs> you, you one of them, aren't you? you one, can I ask you something? Get over here. Get up. Come here, come here, David. Come here, David. Come here. Put the heart down. Get over here. Come here. Hey, we want to ask you something. We ask you something. David, go on and ask him. We was talking about, we was talking about, go on and ask him. Hey, I want to ask you something. Mom. You part of the bride? You part of the bride? Amen. If you're not, we can stop this sermon. I can help you. Let me ask something. Let me ask something. Oh, this is David. That's his boy Solomon. Uh, they never, ever got to go into the Holy of Holies. They didn't get to go in. They, they, they had to stand outside the precincts. They had to bring a bull, a turtle dove. They had to get a lamb. They, they, they had to have a potentate, a priest. They had somebody going over. But we've been, told, we've been told you could go in boldness at any hour. We've been told we didn't have to go to the temple. You are the temple. We've been told he lived inside of you. Can, can I ask you something? Can I ask you something? What did you do with what you had? What did you do? You didn't wait outside for the priest to bring you in. You are a priest. What did you do? Well, we had these business meetings. <laughs> But these kids stuck buggers on the walls. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. You mean to tell me you're part of that remnant called the bride and you spent more time fussing and fighting about ministry? You mean to tell me you're the walking, breathing, holy, real estate of God? You mean to tell me that inside you dwelt the very thing we wanted to see? And all you could do was build buildings to fight about the building you built so somebody could get mad and go build another building and call it Unity Baptist Church. <laughs> Do you know who you are? You're the bride of Christ. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that the sweet living spirit of the Holy Ghost would come and solidify this in our hearts. Spirit of God, I pray with exceptional fellowship that we may speak life over each other, that we may, God, in these last days, as iron sharpens iron, speak to one another, encourage each other all the more the day we see approaching. And in these last days, may you find us with our hands to the plow, our eyes to the skies, in Jesus' name, amen.